welcome to Thrive in Design, a podcast about making money in beautiful interiors as it relates to product-based businesses in the interior design industry. Each week, we'll discuss innovative strategies on how to approach product development and design sales in a shifting market. I'm your host, Nicole Lachey-Ben. At Thrive in Design, we help interior product companies in crafting compelling online and offline go-to-market strategies enabling them to enhance their brand visibility and revenue within the hospitality design segment. We're taking on new clients. If this podcast has been intriguing to you, let's chat about how our team can help you thrive in 2024 and beyond. Head to thriveanddesign.co slash contact. Welcome back for another episode of Thrive in Design. I'm super excited about this episode. As you know, over the last couple of conversations, we've been talking about storytelling, specifically related to interior design-focused brands. So when I thought about storytelling being the theme of this season, I thought this would be great for our listeners. And then the next day, Erica showed up in my Instagram algorithm. So I'm super excited to have our guests here today. With us today is Erica Sorit, founder of the Marketing School for Creators and Sorit Creative, a boutique brand marketing agency with a mission to support and elevate brands across the entire home industry. As a global brand marketing leader, she has overseen digital product development and brand strategy at Airbnb in San Francisco, created immersive physical and virtual brand experiences at Tag Hauer, Estee Lauder, and Procter & Gamble, as well as some top home and lifestyle brands around the world to develop award-winning brand messaging and engagement campaigns. Her background in interior design and marketing has made her passionate about helping businesses transform into unforgettable brands. Erica, welcome to the show. Thank you, Nicole. I'm super excited to be here and talk about storytelling. And what a magical coincidence. (laughs) Sometimes the algorithm does bring you just what you need at just the right time. That's good to hear. All right. So I always like to start off the conversation by just getting some background on Mm -hmm. your story and your journey in the interior design industry. So Erica, walk us through your journey in this industry. What initially drew you to this field? So I grew up in High Point, North Carolina, which is the home of home furnishings. And so I was sort of surrounded by the furniture industry. I was surrounded by interior designers. Well, not so much interior designers at that point because it was still, you know, a really trade focused industry. So it was buyers of either showrooms or wholesalers coming to High Point. But then a little bit later on, of course, now it's much more open to to designers. But from that experience, I kind of saw, you know, all the workings that go into it. It isn't just about manufacturing or making. It's, you know, sales, it's shipping and transportation and logistics. It's marketing, right? There's the whole kind of showroom component of managing that. So I saw this sort of whole industry, parts and pieces of that. And it was intriguing for me. I knew, you know, many, many people I grew up with either had family in, you know, had some touch point <laughs> in the furniture industry. But I went to study fine art. So I have an undergraduate degree, a fine art, bachelor of fine arts degree in sculpture. Super useful. <laughs> After art school, I went to live and work as an artist in New Orleans. And I started working on the side to support my art career in a landscape architecture firm. And what I started to realize was that, hold on, <laughs> this is a real channel for my creativity as well as 
the more kind of analytical side that I have. So I took some time. I did some research and I decided to go back to school. I ended up getting a master's of interior architecture after that. And then I went on to work all around the world in interior design. Mostly I studied how deep do you want me to go into this? Oh, <laughs> I'm not talking. sure. I'm you start. go. <laughs> yes. I had done my graduate work in museum exhibition design. I really wanted to understand, you know, how to integrate some of that fine art background that I had with museum design. But what I was also really interested in was the more experiential side of storytelling in a museum. I was fascinated with a firm I actually ended up working for just a couple of years later in China called Ralph Applebaum Associates. Ralph Applebaum did the original Holocaust Museum in D.C., which really opened up the idea of story in space. So museums before this had been very much focused about, you know, there were some immersive experiential things. There were dioramas and, uh, you know, other kind of portraits of things. You can go to see a dinosaur in a habitat, but it was much more didactic than what he actually did was take a story about history and put you inside of it as part of the experience of about how the museum itself was designed. And I was fascinated by that. And so I did my graduate work on that. I taught at the university level for a while. And then I had an opportunity to go and work in Beijing. And I ended up working for his office in Beijing. And we did a lot of cultural work there. And corporate experience centers did museums as well, institutional work. We did a lot of work for the upcoming, uh, this was in 2008. We were working for the Shanghai Expo, which is kind of like the World Expo, how that evolved over time. So a lot of immersive experiential projects. I went back and forth in between as a designer, the U.S. and China for about seven years before kind of finally coming back into the U.S. And at that time, what I started to see was that I was really valuable for the design team when I was able to go on their behalf with the marketing team to pitch new ideas or to pitch the design projects on behalf of the team. Designers are really great at creating beautiful spaces, renderings that represent, you know, incredible concepts. But a lot of times they would go into the client meetings and sort of lose the plot. <laughs> they would drop the ball. <laughs> and the the project, unfortunately, it would get picked up by someone on the marketing team, you know, the storyline would get, you know, some of the the nuances of the design would unfortunately get lost. And what I was able to do was sort of run in between the design team and the marketing team and really communicate to the client what the value of the design was and sell the design, right? And so that's where I started to realize there's something about storytelling, something about messaging. There's something that, you know, maybe I can transition and I can still support my friends in design, but I can leave AutoCAD behind. Like I can <laughs> step out of that world where that's maybe not the thing I, I really enjoy. And I can still continue to be creative and be a storyteller, but in a different way, but and still support, you know, my creative, you know, design friends. And so now over the last, so I did design corporate, a lot of high-end residential and some hospitality for about 10 years and then I transitioned and I've been doing marketing specifically for interior designers, architects, developers, home brands for a little over 10 years. So that's sort of the background. That's the story. That's how we got here. I love to hear people's story because usually it happens organically. And yes. <laughs> especially like I've been in contact with a lot of students actually from UNC Greensboro 
yeah. their architecture program recently. And they were so curious about like, how do you get from graduating to college to the point you are now? And I'm like, it's a literally a roller coaster. <laughs> <laughs> There's no straight line. Exactly. <laughs> Just keep, you know, pivoting based on what you find interesting or what you mm-hmm. find that you're really good at and keep honing in on that. So I love that yep. you've taken all of those experiences and now you are an entrepreneur focusing yep. on the interior design industry from a very unique lens. And one thing I think I spoke to, I love students, honestly. I love teaching when I was doing that, but I love to go and talk to them because they don't know what they don't know, obviously. Either they've had the experience, especially in interior design, there tends to be a lot of people who come back into interior design from other careers which is great. So they have a little bit more wisdom about what the creative path might look like or what the career path could look like. But it's fun to kind of say to them, you know, you could take this many places. You can take this career into sales. You could take this career into, you know, working specifically for a manufacturer. You don't have to go and be a designer, right? You can take your design education almost anywhere. And I did that same thing. I took it into marketing. And now I help our industry in my own way, in a way that makes me feel fulfilled and happy and uses a lot of my other talents. So keep talking to students. Good for you. All right. So now that you are in this specific niche and you've been working in marketing for the design industry for the last 10 years with your company, Sora Creative, how are you able to merge all of your passions for strategy, storytelling, and all of the insights you have into the work that you do now? Yeah. So Start Creative was born in 2020, so it's relatively new. This is my third year in business. You know, when that happened, I had been working in a kind of a hybrid role in um, tech in San Francisco. I was working for Airbnb, and I was sitting in between the environments team, which built all of the amazing offices around the world, but also acted as subject matter experts for any initiatives or products that were being developed in-house, right? And then I sat on a specialty team that developed a new kind of platform or tier of homes. And so a lot of the work we were doing was was marketing-based, but we were relying on, you know, my background in interior design to kind of guide that. When I left Airbnb in 2020, I knew that the home was going to become, I could just intuitively, we all knew home was going to become a much more important part of everyone's life. I had relationships with manufacturers in High Point as well, you know, North Carolina. I called them all up and I said, listen, you know, the way designers are going to be shopping with you from now on is going to change. Are you ready? And if you worked with manufacturers before, you know, sometimes they can be a little slow to evolve digitally. (laughs) They are still using fax machines. They've got, you know, they're just a little bit slower on the uh, <laughs> the digital side. So I, you know, my proposal to them was like, look, I can help you go in between designers and help you kind of with the digital transition. And the marketing was the sort of second part of that. It was really more about just making sure that the designers had the assets and things that they needed to be able to continuously sell. Because for designers in the residential space, 2020, 20, even up until very recently, It's crazy, right? The business has boomed so much just simply because people see their home in a whole new light, which I think, great, out of this terrible thing that happened to all of us, the interior design industry, the one of interior design's brand problems (laughs) is that people don't necessarily see and understand the value of what an interior designer can do and bring to a project. 
or even to a space in general, any space, not just home. So that's sort of how Sorry Creative was born. Over the last three years, I've evolved it certainly to focus on, I love working with interior designers. So I'm, I'm leaning, still work with brands, you know, manufacturers and, and home brands, but I really love working one-on-one with interior designers and their teams to help them do what I call get their story straight. <laughs> because so many designers don't, you know, they, they're creative, certainly, but they either started their business, you know, on their own, or they started it very quickly. And marketing just became something that they they did on the side, or they hired someone every now and then who could take on, you know, creating a catalog or creating a portfolio or creating their website or creating an asset for them. You know, so they've got these parts and pieces, which are great, but none of it really feels cohesive. That's what I hear from a lot of designers. And, you know, they are in a competitive marketplace now, obviously, like I said, COVID and the world we live in now, people really care about space. So you've got to show your best work. You've got to communicate to clients with a story that makes them lean in. You essentially have to be a brand. So this is one of the most important things now is I'm really focused on helping designers understand what it means to think like a brand and not just a business, even if they're not necessarily the face of their business, their brand. They still represent, you know, the creativity, the value, the value add that they bring to a project. Yes. So you said so many things there. I was like, oh, I'm sorry. Don't be back. Which one should I focus on next? <laughs> okay. <laughs> let's go to those companies being a brand, whether that's mm-hmm. a design firm, an interior yeah. product company. What is the difference of somebody just like running a business versus being a brand? Okay, so I'll start with a story, like all the answers to your question. (laughs) I don't (laughs) really get to it until I get to it. Okay, so most of my life I've been traveling. For graduate school, I spent some time in Finland. I did a lot of projects, like I said, in Asia, which led me into Europe. Um, I lived in China for seven years. And then now I live in between High Point and the south of France. So what I the France with you after this yes. recording. <laughs> You're welcome anytime. Yes. But one of the things I love about travel is not just like meeting people, but it's like meeting new cultures, right? Trying to find out what it, what people care about, what really matters to them, what really makes them, you know, we all have jobs and we all have families and we all have, you know, interests in food and sports and all of that. But like, really, what are the most meaningful things to people in culture? I'm always sort of paying attention to this. I'm a designer. I'm curious. I love to, you know, like inquire and ask questions. But what really stands out to me when I'm traveling, it's not like when I think back of all the places I've gone, I've been to really beautiful architectural places like, you know, museums or landmarks and things like that. It's not always those. It's the feelings and the emotions that I have in those places that I remember most, right? Like when I think about walking through Anchor Wat at sunrise, like, and just listening to the birds start to wake up and like the feeling of that was so, like, I felt so small in this world because it's so steeped in time. We don't really know what happened there. It's kind of a mystery. It was just so many emotions about that. Do I remember the carvings and the, you know, the art and the way the stones fit together? Not so much, right? But what I remember are the feelings that I had while I was there. And a brand is the same way, right? It's not just a logo. It's not just the colors and the way things look on your website. It's how people feel when they think about what you offer. 
And what you offer isn't just your products. What you're offering is an ideology. What you're offering is a way for someone to to see what you are. Some brands that do this really well are, of course, like, you know, Nike, Adidas, Apple, Disney. They're all like, they've got generations behind them, you know, years and years and years of marketing. But what you see with a lot of those brands is that, especially think about like, Nike and Adidas, they're selling maybe essentially kind of the same product, right? Sportswear, shoes, equipment. But you feel, and I'm saying to myself, and I'm, you think about it too, and everyone who's going to be listening to this, in your head, you feel a different way about one of those brands over the other. You have a different story that's playing about, about either the, maybe the personality of the brand, which one, you know, really fits you better, which one do you see yourself in more? We're doing that all the time with every single thing we purchase, not just shoes and sports equipment. It's happening with toothpaste. It's happening with cosmetics. It's happening with our cars. It's happening with our computers, our phones, all of that. All of those purchase decisions are based on a story that the brand has told us through their marketing that we identify with and feel like we're part of. And that's how we choose one brand over another. Now, when you're an interior designer, or a manufacturer of home goods for, you know, whether you're selling B2B or you're selling to directly to a consumer, you can actually control the narrative too. <laughs> like you as a brand, when you think like a brand, when someone has two proposals or three proposals in front of them, or they're looking at your website or your, you know, whatever other social channels you have, you're telling a story through the words, through the images, through your projects, the way you talk about yourself, the way you talk about your work. All of that is composing for them to see themselves in you. And, you know, that's how you can start to feel out if it's a good fit. That's where a lot of times the designers fall short. They followed a formula they see online about everybody else's website should look like this. This one interior design website should look like these are the rules. I can't break them. <laughs> if I break them, something's going to happen. I don't know what, but I just can't. So I try to get clients to stop thinking like that and to really start thinking about their business in a bigger sense, right? As a brand, as an ideology. Yeah. And I know that you have your E3 storytelling framework. Yes. So yes. for those that are listening, they're like, okay, yes, I want to think like Get to it. I want my <laughs> customers or my clients to like feel the emotions and remember yeah. my brand and come back to me over and over again. Give us a framework of what they should be thinking about and implementing as they are switching from just thinking business mindset to brand mindset. Okay. So before you effectively market anything, right, services or products, you have to be able to clearly and confidently and consistently articulate to people what it is that makes you different, right? Not just that you sell one thing over another because Again, a lot of people are selling design services. A lot of people are selling products for offices and furniture. You're not going to differentiate necessarily on product unless you've got a really superior innovation in your product. And even then, you know, we're living in a world where sometimes, you know, things get copied and whatever. So the E3 storytelling framework is also a brand strategy, but it's where we start to kind of identify these elements. The first one is what makes you extraordinary. This is Anything and everything you've ever done in your life, I go through this with clients first, right? This is your unique differentiator. And people are often surprised, you know, that once we make a huge long list of every single thing, like I want to know 
what your education is, what your accreditations are, certifications, all of those things. But also I want to know, where did you grow up? Like, what was it like growing up? You know, what did you do? Like, were you an honor student? Were you like, you know, a skateboard kid? Did you play instruments and you know, music? Are you, tell me everything. Like, I want to get into all of that. And then I want to say like, what are you doing with all that stuff now, right? Are you active in your community? Are you active in your church? Are you active like in some other part? How have you evolved those sort of soft skills or those, you know, intangible, unrelated things that you think don't matter? How are you using them? I bet they're showing up somehow in your work. And I bet that there's a community of people that will see themselves in you if you bring those stories forward. So we focus on those things first because once we identify kind of those unique differentiators and the extraordinary piece, that's the first E. The second thing is to say, okay, so now we know what those are. How do we build emotional resonance with the brand, right? That's when I was telling you about travel. I kind of remember the feelings, right? When I think about, you know, choosing Apple over PC, I have an emotional connection to one brand over the other because they're tripping my wire of, you know, creativity and innovation. One of them, (laughs) Apple, I would say. I see myself in those products because I see myself as you know, a creative or, you know, there's anyway, whether that story is true for everyone, that's how I feel, right? (laughs) So you have to go back and sort of deconstruct the things that either clients have said to you when they come to you, when you do an intake, you know, what are you looking for? With a residential designers, I can go through, there's five core emotions that build up this emotional resonance. And these are starting points. You know, we don't go through and I say like, okay, pick one. But where these come from, there was a tremendous body of work done by environmental psychologists who wanted to know and understand what it was that affected our purchase behavior. So that fast-moving consumer goods companies, like I said, like toothpaste or diapers or cosmetics, could better understand how to create branding and advertising that spoke to the core emotions. So there's that research identified over, I think, like nearly 20 core emotions that we all have. And that's been widely distributed. I knew that research many years ago. And what I started to always hear it in the back of my mind when we were in these pitch presentations with clients throughout my marketing, earlier kind of marketing career. And then as I moved into, you know, really starting to execute on marketing campaigns, I really saw that, okay, no, I think there's for our industry, for the design industry, the home industry, I think there's five. So the first one is a sense of belonging, right? We create spaces because they bring people together. And that is a core emotional motivation of someone who will come to an interior designer, whether it's residential or commercial, and say, obviously, you know, let's say I want to bring people back into the office. How do I use interior design to help me with that? Well, some storytelling that you you might start to engage with would be around that sense of belonging. Makes sense for families, too. The second one is to be seen and heard. And this I see with a lot of just one example would be with designers potentially who are working with young professionals, working with parents who are maybe transitioning their kids are either leaving the home, they're empty nesters, or they're growing their family. They want to entertain. They want to have people see them. I see a lot of designers come to me with messages that say, you know, be seen in the home that you you know are meant to be in or something like that. Like this garbly gook that doesn't make any sense. Like, you know, people can see who you really are in your home or whatever. Like none of that makes sense. But what it's really getting to, it's close, right? It's getting to 
the idea that people want to be seen and heard. And their home is a place where they can really express themselves in a way that they might not be able to, you know, with words or, you know, whatever. So to be seen and heard is one. The third one would be, I see this together with the fourth one, that our life has purpose and meaning and that we have a potentially a hope for the future. So that I say these two are together. This is usually about creating something bigger than yourself, leaving a legacy, building a home for your family just because you can, you know, creating it as a new kind of a place where people will come for generations, right? That sort of core emotional motivation is something that someone who wants to build a second, third home or a vacation rental home might not be able to articulate. All of these are things that people might not, clients might not be able to articulate themselves, but that the designer in their messaging can really start to pull out with words and with imagery that helps people say, that's exactly what I'm going for. That's the feeling. Even if I can't express it and say it, that's what I really want, right? And that's exciting because once you start building stories from that point, you then have leverage over any style. Like style is not an emotional motivation, right? Style comes and goes. (laughs) And if you're on the the coming side of that, that's great for you now. But when it goes out of style, what happens to your business, right? What happens to everything you've built? With that, there's one more. I'll mention it. It's wonder and wonder. So wonder with an O and wonder with an A. And this is the idea. I don't know if you ever saw the Eames Power of Ten film. I actually have the DVD set. <laughs> I've never told myself that I won the DVD set at some design event a few years ago. Good for you. Well, this is related to that. This is the idea that like we can, we see a bigger world when we look inside of ourselves, Or if we're out in the world, we see something deep within ourselves. So, but it's a type of discovery. It's about exploration. It's about, you know, like I said, when I was an anchor, what feeling small in the world, but being really excited and enamored by the potential, right? So this is who we are in the world and sort of, you know, what's possible. This is a really incredible one that a lot of product brands use. So when I you know, introduce these to clients after we go through the first one, which is that extraordinary, right? So this one is emotional resonance. Like I said, I don't go through and say, okay, pick one. <laughs> like we go through and we say, ah, you know, most of the time clients know what it is that's driving, you know, there's something about, you know, one or two of these that they've heard again and again, or that they recognize as behavioral motivation in the clients that come to them. And so that gives us a place to start. It gives us a kernel to begin building really beautiful and amazing and ideological story that will help them completely differentiate from any other designer who's talking about, you know, delivering all the services they have. And I mean, and that's usually where messaging starts is like it really gets tactical. But what people really want to know is how you'll make their lives better when they're looking to buy something, especially expensive or time consuming things like design services. Yes. And I talk to my clients about this all the time. <laughs> I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, so what is it you're selling? How does it solve their pain points? I'll ask. Yeah. Because if it's not making their lives better in any way, we don't have something to sell, whether that's a service right. product or whatever. And yeah, and that differentiating factor, I nail it into people's minds all that's the so time. So important. Yeah. But you know what's exciting, Nicole? We live now in a world where it's okay to be different. And in fact, it's better to be different. And and it took a long time to get there. But now it's so exciting that like the more 
different and, you know, unique and extraordinary you are, <laughs> better it is. It's great. It's so exciting. And I try to get people to see, like, it's in all of us, right? Yeah. It's like the more different you are and then the more niche you are, I think. Those are the powerful combination right there for any yeah. anybody who's looking to be successful in business. Yeah. yeah. So let's get into a few examples. I would love for okay. you to give us an example of an interior designer that you worked with and also maybe an interior product manufacturer where you work with them on developing that clear, concise story that helped them elevate their business to another level. The first question I want to talk about someone who's not necessarily an interior designer, but she is very responsible for space. And so I love her as an example because I think what it helps people to see is that design doesn't have to be about style. We get really hung up on that one thing as an important part of who we are and what defines us and what makes us different. And it can make us different. But again, it's not a differentiator. It's not going to be the thing that tips the scale one way or the other. So I like to use the example of Marie Kondo, who is an incredible, you know, woman. She's one of Time Magazine's 100 most influential people. She grew up in Japan, very close to her grandmother, who taught her that everything in their home was very special, to live with intention and care. And this was really a formative perspective for her because as she grew up, there was a career path in Japan to be an organizational consultant or an organizing specialist. And this is very popular for people who lived in small spaces to really clean and get rid of you know, things they didn't need anymore. But their point of view was everybody else was focused on getting rid of everything, right? Just throwing away, just going through and just kind of like discarding everything. She didn't like that point of view. She felt like you should really look for a reason to keep things instead of just, you know, carelessly getting rid of everything, which is a differentiator, right? She had a different point of view on the perspective. It maybe, I don't know that it had anything to do with sustainability. I think it had more to do with her background from her grandmother, that unique differentiator, that thing that made her extraordinary, was she had this point of view already about place and space. And so I, I think that's really incredible. It completely shifts people's mindset. I don't know if you've ever seen one of her shows or know anything about her, but she's sort of got the idea that organization is self-care, right? It's not about style or luxury. It's about really treasuring those things that you have, making sure that everything you have sparks joy. And if it doesn't, it's got to go. <laughs> so this to me is both the emotional, right? The emotional resonance is that you know, maybe if I start to think about my stuff having joy, you know, or sparking joy, maybe if I think if I'm intentional about what I keep, maybe from, you know, a pen to, you know, pieces of paper to like, maybe it'll translate into other parts of my life. Like maybe my, what I eat should be intentional. Maybe the relationships I have should be more intentional. Maybe the job I have or the way, you know, I interact with in my community. So that's a mindset, right? That's a ideology that she's really infused into her brand, which really resonates with people, which I think is an incredible way to build a brand. So she is one of my favorite case studies for the E3 storytelling framework. The third E 
thing that we didn't get to is more tactical. It's just experiential touch points. It's like, how do you then execute this story across every single part of your brand? And she does it really well. I mean, she's training people in this KonMari method. She's selling products with Muji, but with a lot of different types of, you know, manufacturers. She's got licensing. She's even if you go to her website, she has a little pop up that says like, get emails that spark joy. Yeah. I mean, it's like genius. Okay. <laughs> She's right. great. So yeah. intentional on, like you said, every touch point on and offline, yes. which is super important to be consistent across those platforms. The magic of it, though, is when you build a brand with an ideology and not based on a style, it will free you up to do, like I said, anything you want. So now she's doing courses and training. She's doing products. She's doing, you know, speaking. Obviously, she does television. She writes books. It's she's able to expand and scale that ideology because it resonates with so many people much more than she would be able to do that if she was tied to a product or a style. That makes sense. Yeah, that completely makes sense. And I feel like it totally relates to me. So hopefully good (laughs) are also having that aha moment right now. Good. So as you work with your own clients through this methodology and focus on storytelling and marketing their brands, is there any really memorable project that you worked on over the last couple of years that really challenged your skills? Wow, many. <laughs> you know, it, it sounds kind of corny, but every single one I work on challenges my skills. Every single client that comes to me, even though they're all most of them all are designers or most of them are all manufacturers in the home industry. Every single challenge is different. Every single client comes with something unique, obviously multiple things that are unique. They come with a unique market or a target audience that has different core emotional motivations and values. Although I would say the most common thing that I end up doing for a lot of clients is you know, the execution part of what I do, which is build websites and build social strategies and do copywriting and, you know, create visual stories. That part for me, I I love doing that. But, you know, how those stories show up at the end, they make themselves. You will understand that you're a designer, you get that. Like once you've got the idea in your head, once you know kind of the direction to go with, it really kind of builds itself. Does that make sense? Yeah. I don't know if you can yourself in that story. But I find, you know, that the biggest challenge for me a lot of times is getting clients to have that aha moment. Once we get there, things become much easier. A lot of times when designers work with marketing or brand specialists or strategists, they don't internalize the work. And I've seen that happen because they come to me with like a style guide or, you know, either fully built out marketing, like a a strategy that they've been trying to implement. They have a website that's not working. And I ask them like, you know, what does this mean? What does this copy mean? What does this message mean? What does this mean? And they they can't tell me, they can't explain it. And I'm thinking, you know, like, well, if you don't understand it, how do you expect right. <laughs> your clients yeah. to understand it? And how do you expect to create content about it over and over again if it doesn't make sense to you? So my, the first place I start with the clients is really just getting them to have that like, own their story, get it, own it, it's yours. And then I'll show you how to, what to do with it. (laughs) That's the easy part. And one thing that you said, well, one word that you said 
at the beginning of this conversation a few times was value, right? Because I yeah. don't find myself, especially talking to potential clients. I'm like, we need to work on your strategy. We need mm-hmm. things cohesive across different touch points of your brain. So that yes. <laughs> whoever you're targeting. But a lot of times they push back because they don't understand the value of that, especially with working mm-hmm. with manufacturers. They're all about like their bottom line. They're trying to sell, of course. Oh, yeah. And you have on your website, I was looking at your website and you were saying like, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but basically storytelling mm-hmm. and having that cohesive story allows brands to outperform other companies that right. that all comes down to like the value behind putting all this work into the storytelling, the cohesiveness, yeah. those different touch points. So for you, how do you share with a potential client or even a client that you're working with, like the value in doing all of this work, going through the E3 framework? And, and oh, I've got a super easy, oh, oh, I'm going to tell you, <laughs> I've got something that shows people kind of right away the value of what marketing, what needs to happen like next. Yeah. I do a one page brand audit and I have that on my website. And it's it's really astonishing to me to see these once people do them and they go, oh, yeah, 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 I get it. So it's a one page, basically it's a PDF and there's a, I have a little video that kind of explains how to do it. But basically you're taking from all of your marketing channels that are existing, that's your the first line of copy on your website, what people read when they first land on your page. When you Google your business, what is the kind of SEO copy? What's been put in the back end of your website to talk about your brand? I want to know what's the line on your business card. I want to know what's in your email signature. I want to know what's on all your social profiles, what the bio is at the top. Basically, anything that's out there. I don't care about images right away. We always start with narratives. I even say, like, what would you say at a party if you go to a networking event to introduce yourself and someone says, so who are you and what do you do? What do you say? (laughs) Yeah, just a second. And we put all of that on one page. And what happens is one of them's not been updated in years. One's been updated by an intern who had their own agenda for what they thought. They were really, really clever. One was they never touched it. They don't even know the business card just has their name on it. Maybe their phone number. <laughs> like, right. It's a mess. And they look at that and they say, yeah, but no one's ever going to be looking at these all at once. And I say, well, yeah, but someone's going to be looking at this one and that one at least a couple of these. And if it's not all saying the exact same thing and you want that thing to be emotional and resonant and make you unique, (laughs) then what are you spending your money on? You're wasting your time. And once they see that, that gives us an open door to kind of start to talk about, okay, now all of these can't be a priority. You know, obviously businesses have marketing budgets, but what is the biggest priority? And how will we know what's the biggest priority is because we kind of talk about like who the client is, who the you know audience is. Are they prioritizing content at a certain level in their marketing? And then that gives us a chance to really kind of break down and create a plan where we can, you know, do some, you know, phasing on, you know, deliverables or phasing on cost. And it's a much more interesting conversation because they're then invested in it. They really do see what that pain point is and will become because even if they're focused on selling, they're not going to sell if the people don't understand what they're doing and what they're selling and why they're doing it at all. So, you know, we could go on and on and on about that, but it's a quick way for people to do it. Yeah. 
And so now we're in this digital age and things are constantly mm-hmm. evolving. I've been getting really into AI these days too. But oh yeah, we are in this ever evolving landscape of design and marketing and digital mm-hmm. strategies. So for you, how do you stay on trend and guide your clients to stay on trend as they are developing their branding and core identities? Yep. So when it comes to trends, I'll say AI is not a trend. AI is here and it's going to change everything. And if you haven't yet started to embrace it and look into it, it's time. It is, in fact, a tool. It is never going to replace. Well, I don't know, never. (laughs) It, It is not going to anytime soon be able to replace what a really creative person can do. And when I mean creative, I mean someone who can synthesize information from multiple sources and then create a strategy. I have yet to see AI be able to create a strategy at all. It's very good at executing. It's a really great partner for brainstorming. I use it a lot to help kind of flesh out ideas, ask it questions. I actually had a friend plan their whole like holiday vacation with it. So it's really good at research. It's really great at like helping you work faster. And that's amazing. I think you need to be the person who's programming AI, (laughs) who's doing the commands to AI so that AI doesn't take your job. But for as far as creatives go right now, I don't think as long as you're focused on being as creative as possible, use AI to help you be more creative and don't worry about it. But trends, I mean, I tend to shy away from too many trends. I know, you know, social media has a lot of, you know, we have new platforms coming every couple of years and I think there's value in them. Social media, as you know, has its own place in the marketing world, in the marketing funnel. And I think that it's great if your audience is there. But I tend to stay away from a lot of sort of trendier things. I'm a little risk averse. I (laughs) (laughs) I completely agree. Like, you know, one of the trends that I have seen on social media, just like people dancing or, you know, they'll like come up with something that they're saying and then put the words on the screen and then they're pointing at the words. And I saw yeah. one of my um, fellow entrepreneur friends. I'm like, if you ever see me on Instagram doing a video <laughs> pointing at words, just know that I've been kidnapped. <laughs> 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 <No>. I've been body snatched. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. I, I hear you. So what are the things that you're currently working on and marketing online is your marketing school for creatives. So sell us quickly mm-hmm. what that entails and how people can learn about it. Yep. So I created essentially the course that I wish I had had 10 years ago when I was just starting in marketing. So a lot of creative people think and a lot of creatives end up in marketing roles because they can produce really beautiful, gorgeous stories, gorgeous assets, beautiful photography, beautiful copy, beautiful, 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 beautiful. And that's great. Beauty is is amazing. We know and we love it. But if you don't understand the strategy for how to use marketing, like how to execute in a marketing strategy, a marketing plan, if you don't know where this type of, you know, beautiful thing goes and fits and will work best and will help you, right? Because usually those things are expensive to produce. And if you can't come back and make a business case for how marketing should fit into your, you know, quarterly or annual budget, then you've only done half of the game. So Marketing School for Creatives teaches both the storytelling principles and frameworks that we've talked about a little bit. We go into 
you know, narrative. We talk about visual storytelling and then it bridges. I do a bridge module where I talk about, you know, how we're going to take a story and turn it into a strategy. And then I spend three additional modules talking about marketing strategy and how to build a marketing plan around the stories that you've already created for your brand. So it's a very comprehensive course. It's video based. So there's a component that you take online. There's a platform for it. But then we're right in the middle of the fall course right now. I'm not sure when this will play again, but I will launch it again. I have four guest speakers, guest experts coming to do workshops. And at the end, we have this incredible guest jury who's going to do kind of a live sort of, you know, brand review of all the things people have created in the course, which is incredible to get like tons of industry feedback. And the jury panel is superstar. <laughs> and so I, I, I plan to repeat that kind of each time it's launched. There are also live modules with me like office hours. So it's really fun. It's open to creative service providers, whether that, you know, you're entrepreneur or solopreneur. But I also have a lot of people in the course who are, you know, creative directors, people, creatives in marketing roles that need the marketing kind of, you know, information, the foundations that they never got. They kind of had to learn on the job. It's open and available to too many people. And you can sign up for that too. It's marketingschoolforcreatives.com. And there's a waitlist button to get on the waitlist for the next session, which will come out shortly. Erica, it's been a pleasure learning about your personal journey from sculpture to marketing in the interior design industry and all that you're doing in helping these creatives understand storytelling, run their business like a brand, and ultimately just deliver more value to their clients. So if people want to connect to you, other than the marketing school for creatives.com, yep. how can they find you online? Everything, it's easy to find me. Everything is at Sarit Creative, S-A-U-R-I-T, Creative. Instagram, my website. If you want to take that brand audit, it's saritcreative.com slash brand audit, all one word. And that will show you kind of where your messaging sits. And then there's resources on my website for how to do it yourself. And if you need some support, you can always reach out. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed our conversation. Super nice to meet you. And I um, I look forward to connecting in the future if you're in High Point. Yes, for sure. Well, thank you, Eric, for being here. Thank you. Thanks for joining us this week on Thrive in Design. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Thrive in Design. And for more strategies on how your product company can innovate in the interior design industry, head to training.thriveindesign.co. As always, subscribe to the show to catch every new episode and leave us a review so we can continue to create captivating content. See you next week. Thank you.